On today's episode of the Sixers Beat, I have Mike O'Connor on to talk about the team's recent play, why there's so much inconsistency in their effort night to night, how much of that falls on Brett Brown's shoulders, and whether there's a leadership void in the Sixers' locker room, before finally wrapping up with some quick thoughts on today's upcoming trade deadline and bemoaning the lack of flexibility the Sixers have in addressing the shortcomings of their roster. Of note, we recorded this podcast just before the news that the Sixers acquired Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III from the Warriors, Uh, but since most of the podcast wasn't about the trade deadline, and since we did mention both Burks and Robinson towards the end of the podcast anyway, we still wanted to post this episode. We will have another podcast later this weekend to talk about all the Sixers' trade deadline moves. And with that out of the way, on to the show. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Mike O'Connor on the Sixers Beat, proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. How you doing, Mike? I'm good, man. I'm like everybody else. I'm overreacting to every noise my phone makes. Uh, <laughs> waiting on some news. Just waiting on news. I, I I am taking a phone call right now as we speak in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> Woj style. No, I'm not. Um, so like everyone else, we have watched the last three games of Sixers basketball. You know, we had a lot of debate on what to do with this podcast. Initially, we were kind of putting this podcast off until there was some substantial rumor to talk about. That has not really materialized as of yet, and we're recording this late on Wednesday night. So Mike O'Connor's big idea was to talk about what a potential addition of Glenn Robinson III would mean for this playoff run, and that is why Mike O'Connor does not run the direction of this podcast because that is that sound you hear is all of you guys clicking that button right now. (laughs) So I guess instead what we'll do, we'll discard Mike's. We might talk a little bit of trade deadline, Glenn Robinson, Alec Burks, that kind of stuff towards the end of the podcast. But before we do that, we'll talk a little more of the topic and trust me, trust me. I wanted like nothing else in the world. I wanted to not have to talk again about this shitty road basketball team. And there's really no other way to describe that. After their first three wins, they are six. They've won only six of their last twenty-four games on the road. I believe it is. They are a shitty road basketball team right now. I wanted to avoid talking about because there's only so many different ways you can talk about the same shit over. They don't defend on the road. Can't shoot for shit on the road. I've dropped the s bomb a few too many times already on this podcast. I apologize. They just play poorly on the road. So I guess we'll start off higher level. Why is this team's effort? And in your opinion, I'm not going to claim that you're in the locker room, like sussing everything out and you know all their deep, dark thick secrets. But in your opinion, why is this team, why is the effort so inconsistent? Like what, what do you think could possibly be causing that? And how do we remedy that? So I'm, I'm going to start by, like, I think it all starts with Joel and, uh, and I, I definitely think Brett has shares responsibility here. But I'm going to put the bulk of it on Joel, uh, primarily because I think he's the number one culprit of of just variance in effort. You know, some nights like against the Bucks and a couple of games against the Celtics, uh, not the most recent one, but the, the game before that, uh, he looks really engaged and he looks like the player we've always known him to be. But honestly, I mean, 90% of games, he just doesn't look like that. And 
you know, it, it prompted me recently, um, it prompted me to go on Synergy and, and look at some of his old, uh, his old possessions from previous years, like his rookie year and, and, and 17, 18, his second year. And I was blown away by a couple of things. Number one is just how much different he looks physically now. Oh my um, God. It's, it's so depressing going back and watching like Kansas tape. Cause but, Oh, he was a completely different athlete, completely different athletic profile. It was ridiculous. And you it's, know, it's really depressing to think that his athletic peak was probably at Kansas. But I'm not even like, I don't, I don't know how much of it is just like he needs to drop weight, like period. Yeah. It, could he just go on a Draymond diet and be that guy again? I'm not sure. I, I think it's definitely possible, but it, it is like unbelievably alarming when you look at that. And it's like the amount that he's aged from 22 to 25 is the amount that like most players age from 19 to 34. Like he squeezed, he squeezed like 15 years of aging into three years and it's really, really bad. And, you know, like you said, I, I don't know Joel's deepest, darkest secrets. I don't know if he just believes that he needs to just coast the regular season and that he can just turn things on. Or I don't know if it's, you know, he's had so many injuries and I don't know if that's just catching up to him. And I don't know if he's just physically not able to get in the shape that he wants to be in. But I do know this, the, 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 the number one thing that would improve, you know, everything about him is just getting in better shape. And I think he deserves a fair amount of criticism for not being in that in that condition. Um, and, and, you know, in large part, because, like I said, that bleeds into his night to night effort, which has been really bad and which I would pinpoint to uh, which I would point to being the biggest problem in terms of Sixers inconsistency. Well, it's not only that, but like. His body language is frequently very bad. His effort, like you said, comes and goes. And I don't think it's just conditioning in terms of effort. Like there's times in the first half where he doesn't look like he's fully engaged in a game. And then there's sort of passive aggressive comments that he makes to the media. Uh, like, like Wednesday about his touches and his role in the offense. And I think, you know, I think like everything with the Sixers, there's a pro Brett Brown and anti Brett Brown faction to every comment made. And the anti Brett will be like, well, they've, he's lost the team. Joel kind of makes these these sort of passive aggressive comments whenever he doesn't get the ball enough. Like he's always when they're winning, when they're losing in previous years, like this is just sort of who he is. And you wonder then, okay, well, if that's what we're seeing, what's he doing in the locker room? And I don't know that he's a you know a problem in the locker room, but so much of a team culture gets set by your best player, the player that's most secure in the franchise, a person, quite frankly, who's most secure in the franchise and the person who has the loudest voice. And I mean, it's something I said months ago, but like, I just wonder when things go bad, does Joel have, I don't know if it's a personality or the experience, the leadership experience, not just the NBA experience to sort of react correctly and turn that team around. And right now, you know, again, this is all going to fall on the coach for a lot of people. And look, if they don't turn this around, like at some point, you change the coach because that's the easiest change to make. It's the easiest one to get a replacement level, but you can't, you can't replace Joel. There's no like snap your finger, go out and sign a Joel Embiid. You just can't do that. You can't, you can sign literally, you know, Josh Harris come to a new contract with a new coach and replace Brett Brown. So if, if this doesn't get turned around, you change that before you change the superstars, of course. But my worry with a lot of like the Brett Brown talk is okay. Let's say you go out, you replace Brett Brown 
that gives sort of this front office to run it back and see whether or not their flawed roster works again. And you just get a couple, let's say you get a year down the line and you find out, A, this roster is still flawed. They don't fit. Al Horford is even older and probably a worse player and less tradable. And you still have, don't have enough resources to go out there and get stuff. You still have an inexperienced GM running the show. You have no financial flexibility and you have a owner who has quite frankly punted on the last two GM searches. And we sort of get to, and you have maybe leaders in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons who a don't compliment each other's games and B still aren't necessarily leading the way that they need to lead. And yeah, you change a coach. That was the easiest thing to change, but you still have all of these problems that have maybe led to this point where they're just not reacting. A, they're not fitting on the basketball court the way I think they need to fit in order to truly contend for an NBA title. And I'm not sure I see that changing. I think I think a lot of people think that's just a scheme thing. I think these are a lot of skill deficiencies. Yeah. I'm, and I'm I mean, my, my biggest concern is, okay, let's say Brett Brown has lost the locker room. Big concern. You got to change that. Is that because Brett Brown lost the locker room? Or do you need maturity, more maturity out of your star players who so much of this culture is dictated by? And look, I hope, I, I hope Joel is the leader that they need, but that would be my biggest concern. Like Brett Brown and all of this, like I think a lot of people who think that this is a snap finger, change a coach, everything goes to perfection. I, 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 frankly, I hope you're right. Like if Brett Brown gets fired, Hey, like he's a good guy, but I think Brett would tell you he's had a charmed life, right? Like he's been a head basketball coach for seven years in the NBA now. Like he, he's had a privileged life that few people get to experience. He will, Brett Brown will be okay. My concern, though, as a fan, is that these issues are much deeper and much tougher to solve than I think a lot of people who are looking at the easiest to change. And I think a lot of people are just hoping that the problems aren't any deeper. I truly believe that. Yeah. So I have a lot to say about Brett. But first, I just want to make one last point on Joel. I think it's really interesting to me how much Joel, and maybe you could say this a little bit about Ben, but much more Joel. It's interesting to me how much he's escaped the the spotlight in terms of his his behavior and his demeanor on the court. Like I just think about the way that LeBron would be criticized if he were sulking like Joel sulks and if he were just not as enthusiastic towards teammates like Joel is. And uh and I, I it's just interesting to me that Joel has escaped all that uh because I think he deserves a lot of that criticism. Uh but in terms of Brett, so there there's there's one thing that I've just been thinking about, you know, for, for the most part, I do not think that they're going to fire Brett. I would be really like surprised this season. This season. Yeah, 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 this yeah. season, because for this reason and this reason alone, um, if you fire Brett and then you have like a disappointing second round playoff exit, like that's it for the front office. The front office takes all of that blame. And I think that unless it's like a, a coming straight down from ownership to fire Brett in the middle of the season, I would be shocked if the front office w- were to decide to fire him because, like I said, you fire Brett now the, and the team doesn't turn it around. They still have a disappointing end. Well, who do you blame? You blame the front office. You find they're the common denominator and they're the ones that 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 take the brunt of that blame. So just for that reason, that reason alone, just from a logic perspective, that's why I'd be surprised if they fired him. Um, that being said, like I will I will, real quick, and I'll let you get back to that. I first of all, I agree. I don't think they're gonna. Fire Brett in the middle of the season, but you know I think if they do, I think first of all a lot of people are looking for like outside names. I think that I, when you're talking about mid mid February, I think that's unrealistic. Like if if they were to make a change, it would mostly be 
Ime Udoku. Like, I think that's who would be promoted. It would be an interim basis. So I think in that context, if you, like, let's say, promote Ime on an interim basis, I don't think it would have to be he needs to take you to where you expect to go. And if not, there's no other excuses. Like, I think they would look at that and say, okay, this is just a temporary fix. We need, like, we need, this would be a case that the front office would make. We need to be able to get our guys, our own choice, our own coach in here, give them time to work with them through an entire training camp and see what they can do. I don't necessarily, like I said, I think most of the X's and O's structural strengths, weaknesses problem of this team is based off of roster. So if you're talking about changes, like I don't, I don't necessarily buy that argument that they need to be able to hire someone and and let them have the entire preseason training camp and whatnot. But I think if they were to make that argument, I think that that's what it would be. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, like you said, I think if, if they were to fire, it would just be Ime Yudoka and it would be basically the same system. You know, it wouldn't like right. it wouldn't you wouldn't flip the whole thing on its head. If you um, if you really think that the change should be made now. And look, I, I, I like I said, I think it's much this, the problems with this team are much deeper than that. But it would be yeah. because you think maybe a new voice could motivate them where they're not currently motivated. Yeah. Um, but in terms of just Brett and like the job he's done, like. I try to stay away from that conversation for the most part because I think it's the most ridiculous uh, sports dialogue I've ever seen. Like, the two sides are just so unbelievably far apart, and the entire thing is just mocking the the other one's viewpoint. And the way he's judged is just based on, like, he'll, like, decide to play, I, I don't know, like, like Korkmaz over James Ennis and every, for, like, six minutes, and everybody will freak out. And, it, like that sort of stuff and, and and like rotations and lineups and like when does he call a timeout like I, I just want to like express my viewpoint that all that stuff is like complete minutia and means like basically nothing in terms of uh in terms of like how good of a job your head coach is doing all that being said and and I acknowledge that I acknowledge that the problems on this team run way deeper than than the scheme I think Brett has done a bad job like just plain bad he's just been bad this year I, I disagree with so much of what he's done schematically. They came out uh, to start the season and they were just running post up after post up after post up and running these like these sets where two guys would cut to the lane at the exact same time to the exact same spot. Um, this is all stuff you know I've written about. Um, that made absolutely no sense. And to me, it was like in their mind, it was like they were accounting as if Ben was going to be a three point shooter. And he's not. He was just chilling in the dunker spot. And when you have two guys already cutting on top of him, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And it took them probably six weeks into the season to correct that. Um, I think the way they've used Al Horford and pick and rolls on defense has been like asinine. And I, I've posted some of those numbers um, in terms of how they just get absolutely obliterated at the rim on defense when Horford's in the game at center. Um, and that's because they're playing Horford on these drop coverages that you could only play a guy like Joel Embiid or Rudy Gobert, whereas like you need Horford playing a lot, a lot higher up on those screens. Um, and Brett had that quote about, you know, we're taking a blowtorch and and putting bullets through our, our defensive schemes. That was like legitimately halfway through the season. It took that long to get to that point, and I think that's like unacceptable. Um, I, so many of 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 the things that he's he's run schematically this year, I, I just don't agree with. Um, I think a lot of things that that worked well to this point just, like, can't work with this roster. I think the way he is all about, like, dribble handoffs and um, these intricate, like, 
you know, th- these these ways to to set up dribble penetration. Like, watch the Heat game and just watch how Jimmy Butler every single time down the court, it's just like screen for Shake Milton, like to get Shake Milton on a switch or to get Furkan Korkmaz on a switch. Like that's it. That's all. That's the whole offense. It's that simple. Whereas Brett has this insistence on sort of running this dribble handoff offense with five entry passes and you got to fight through all these screens. Like, no, like just get Tobias Harris the ball and get him a switch or just run a high pick and roll with Josh Richardson. Don't make him work out of dribble handoffs like that. Or, or, you know, run a pick and pop, clear the whole middle of the floor for Ben Simmons and Al Horford. Like you've got to simplify this. I, I think like one thing that in just sort of like talking to people around the league about Brett Brown, like one of the things people say about him is like his system is great for getting the most out of players with like not a lot of talent. But it's just not how you should run an offense when you have actual talent and capable ball handlers. And I think that's a valid criticism. And I think he's been really stubborn to change that, really resistant to change that. I think at times last year in the playoffs, you saw him make those adjustments. And especially late in games, like I said, like the offense a lot of the time was just find Jimmy, get him the ball and have, you know, screen for the other team's worst defender. Great. Like he did that when it counts. And and that's why... You know, I was very supportive of him in the in the Toronto series. I thought he did a great job. Like, I, I have no complaints in terms of that. But it's it's. I think there's this like insistence on his part to run this like Spurs adjacent offense, and and it just doesn't work with this team. It just doesn't work, and that's sort of where I stand on that. Um, I I I don't think Brett is a bad coach per se. I think he's done a bad job. I think those are two different things, and I just mean that in terms of this year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of criticisms of him. I, I, I just want to be sure that I stay away from, from like, the people on Twitter who, like, will see things that aren't even, like, remotely in a coach's control and point to it and say, this is Brett's fault and then this and that. I don't agree with that at all. I, I think I think when we analyze coaches, like, when I the, the discussion that I see on Twitter is just, like, I just see people attributing things, good or bad, to him that just have nothing to do with him. And uh, and I think that's made for a ridiculous conversation of him. But like I just sort of went over, I, I have a lot of criticisms of his schematic choices. I will reiterate again, the problems go way deeper than him. I would blame the front office way more than I would blame him, but he's absolutely responsible. I think he's done a bad job. Yeah, I mean, some of those, like the Al Horford drop coverage specifically, I think for the most part, he likes to keep his centers in a and his his team and and sort of one scheme in the regular season and then adjust in the playoffs. Like I don't I never expected that coverage to be what we saw if they played Miami in the first round of the playoffs, for example. Um, I think he just wanted to simplify it and keep the other four people have the same responsibility. When Joe and Al were in there, I mean, he was saying for weeks before then, like you know maybe I have to do more to help Al in pick and rolls. So I think he I think he understood what he had to do. He was probably slow to. To adjust there, um, in terms of like, like hunting, let letting Tobias Harris hunt. I'm just not sure, like, how many pick and rolls, how many screens will a team actually switch though? Like, you can't, like, w- what pick and roll combinations outside of maybe Tobias and Horford? I'm just not sure you're going to force very many switches. Like, they're going to go under everything. It's not like Tobias Harris is all that good at either turning the corner or pulling up off the dribble. It's just, it's a funky ass roster i don't know it's a funky ass yeah. roster and I, i'm like i'm okay with uh if they don't yield a switch or whatever but i just need to see i would like to see tobias in more high pick and rolls and don't put him in these dribble handoffs like he's landry shamit or like he's 
JJ Redick. Like I, I think that a guy like him, six nine, you know, six eight, six nine, is just not like you shouldn't be putting him in five dribble handoffs a game. Like he should be doing much more of his damage out of pick and rolls and uh, and try and use him like that. Even I think I think the looks he can get, the corners he can turn, the rotations he can force on a dribble handoff. It's just I don't think it's all that functionally different than a pick and roll. I just don't think it's going to change who he is. Like, I don't know. That's I think that's a different... Like, if what we're talking about is Tobias Harris running more offense in a pick and roll, I think that goes back to the uh, majority of the blame being on the, the front office. Honestly, I think... Eh, I don't need to get too deep on Tobias here. Um, but I think their miscalculation on him and how much he could shoulder is a... And how much to give up for him and how much to give him in his contract is a, a big... Big reason why we are where we are, but they miscalculated that in terms of a bunch of guys. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think uh, of everybody in the starting lineup. Probably, I would criticize Ben the least because he just plays hard every night. But I think it was Andrew Underberger made a point on Twitter that this roster was built sort of with like the thought that Ben would shoot corner threes, and he just hasn't. That's been a killer. So yeah, I mean, they they just miscalculated I mean, a little bit. This roster bit was like, also built that like Josh Richardson would be your backup point guard in the playoffs. Right. Yeah. It was. Yeah, man, it's it's not good. <laughs> it's um, not good. All right, let's take one quick break to tell you about DraftKings. The big game might be over, but the action isn't slowing down just yet. There's still plenty happening on the rink, on the court, and on the field. Get in on the action tonight with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Just as one football season ends, another begins. Celebrate the kickoff of the new professional football season starting this weekend with DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Plus, they have great promos and odds boosts each and every day of the week. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter code TOSS and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. All right, let's pivot a little bit to a couple minutes of trade deadline chatter. We've already had um, Malik Beasley. You can cross him off the list. He's already been traded. Andre Godala, not that you would trade for him, but maybe as a buyout candidate. That was always a very low probability. But you can cross him off the list. He's headed to Miami. Where, and like, there's been no indication that they're looking at anything really big. It doesn't seem like they have the capital to get Bogdan Bogdanovich. Where do you think, and quite frankly, I'm not sure, unless Chicago is completely bluffing on their asking price, which they could, it's the day before the deadline. It doesn't seem like they even have the capital to get Derek Rose. Where do you think this is headed here in the next 24 hours? I told you, man, Glenn Robinson the <laughs> third. <laughs> this is why we're bringing guy. it up 22 minutes into the podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, look, they just don't have options. They don't have options. I, I don't think the league is very high on Zaire Smith. I don't think no, he has really any. He's, he's trade. That's it. Yep, yeah. 
And, We're selling uh, it for, I mean. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, just you, you think about it like this: like the most valuable asset they have is like the Knicks' twenty twenty second round pick. Like that's it. That's all they got, and uh, and that's not going to get you much. I think the best hope is you know trade Scott and maybe like Bolden and a couple of seconds for uh, Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks, honestly, and that's not going to do much for you. I mean, we're talking about. Glenn Robinson the third, you might as well like be getting like a ten percent upgrade over James Ennis. Like that's it. That's all you're getting, and that's not going to fix anything. I do think there might be something to just like an injection of of fresh fresh blood, fresh personality, just change things up. Like the, you never want to say like make a change for the sake of making a change, but uh, there just needs to be some kind of shakeup. And it's unfortunate they don't have any any ammo for that. Um, I think it's it's also interesting that like more people haven't. I mean, not that not that like Sixers fans aren't like throwing a, a rally to incite this, but like I, I'm surprised that more like media members at least haven't advocated for trading Horford because I think like I don't see any way that this ends in them not trading him if it's not now. It's Didn't over you the just summer. last podcast say you don't have to rush because you think you can always move his contract? I changed my mind, man. <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, that was like three days ago. No, but seriously, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying like that's like they have to do it. I'm saying there should be more consideration to it, um, because like all some the, of the all the chatter recently is that they really want him for that Milwaukee series and matching up against Giannis. And look, we wrote a lot about his ability to be another option defending Giannis. He's, he's not going to shut him down. Clearly, like there's no shutting down. Giannis, he didn't last year in the playoffs. He wouldn't this year in the playoffs. But that's a big assumption you're making there that you can even get to the conference finals for that to matter. Like, there's still a lot of other teams you have to worry about. Not only that, but then you have to worry about the other conference too if you end up having end up somehow winning that conference finals. You you need, I think right now, you need to be a better basketball team. And don't yeah. worry too much about matching up with one person on one team. You need to be a functional basketball team with, give me one three-level score. One one person who could pull up off the dribble and take a three-pointer. Just one. Like, we talk about all this with, you know, Tobias Harris pick and roll or dribble handoff or draw out a switch. And ISO. Give me one fucking guy who can pull up off the dribble and make a three-pointer. Just one. And they don't, like, there's too many skill sets this team just doesn't have. Give me one guy who can get to the rim, who can get the free-throw line off the, like, one outside of Joel Embiid. It just, it, it, don't worry too, like, look, would it be great? if Al Horford was making $7 million and you could have used that cap space somewhere else and you had this option to play 16 minutes backup center and defend Giannis, that would be perfect. Absolutely. But with Al Horford, if you're if he's playing 16 minutes per game, here's what I'll say. Daryl Morey just traded a really good center. Really good center. Who, quite frankly, fit James Harden really well, too, with his rim running and his lob threat. Just traded them. They have no real functional center on their roster right now. Because there's that belief that wings are so much more valuable than a center. A center is so easy to replace. The Sixers went out and gave $109 million to Al Horford. And if he can't play alongside Joel Embiid, like benching him and playing him 16 minutes per game, that's a pretty bad solution because, ooh, boy, is your cap fucked up. And look, we're, a lot of people say, well, you're losing the cap space. Yeah, that's true. But right now, you don't want to give up much to go out and get someone like Bogdanovich because keeping him would be really tough. 
because look, we might want Josh Harris to play all the salary or all the luxury tax, but that's not usually how it works, especially if your team's not in a major like LA, New York market, or isn't a true title contender. Like teams don't exceed the luxury tax by $20 million. It just doesn't happen. So you're getting the point now where like they're not going to trade for guys with bird rights because you're not going to resign them anyway. Or the, someone like with Josh Richardson, you're going to lose because you mismanaged your cap. So not only do you have a guy who can't play more than 16 minutes because he can't play with your best player, but now you're going to start losing guys like Josh Richardson or the opportunity to trade for Bogdanovich or things like that. It, it, you Benching Al Horford might be a solution here for a month or two if you get a capable ball handler to elevate into the starting lineup. If you got like a Bogdanovich, maybe benching Al Horford is a solution. It's a it's a real elegant long, long-term solution, though. He has to be able to play between Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, or that's a massive failure of a contract. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, you know, like I said, I I think there needs to be more consideration towards getting a deal done. Um, obviously, you know, we're, what are we, like 18 hours away from the trade deadline as we're recording this, so... If all indications have been that they're not going to trade him, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but the problem but yeah, is man, also it... like who 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 wants him at that salary? Like so many of your uh, like go through these this team. Like you're talking about teams not wanting Zaire Smith and Mike Scott. Okay, that makes sense. Like there's Zaire Smith and Mike Scott. They're salary matching, but like your your two major contracts in the starting lineup, Al Horford and Tobias Harris, do they really have positive trade value? Like, you can get someone to trade for Tobias Harris, but, like, is he going to be the centerpiece of a, a blockbuster deal? Like, that's a that's a big contract for a player who's, quite frankly, never made an all-star game and, quite frankly, probably isn't an all-star level player. Al Horford, how many teams want that much money, first of all, in a center, but also a center who doesn't really protect the rim defensively and really needs a pick and pop in order to have value offensively? Like, it's just, and, and not to mention his age. So, so, like, who, who has really great trade value on this team? Josh Richardson's going to be an expiring contract after, once we get past this trade deadline here in a couple hours, he's going to be basically an expiring contract next time you can trade him. You're talking about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and what was your next trade asset? A second-round pick from the Knicks? Shit. Shit. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're look, really inflexible. Let me just, let me uh, let me take your temperature on this trade. I'm just going to throw a hypothetical trade at you. And, like, just tell me who you think says no, okay? Here's the trade. Al Horford and Jonah Bolden um, to the Suns for Aaron Baines. I guess Sixers have to throw more guys, just salary filler. But Aaron Baines, Tyler Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, and Cam Johnson. Like, basically a salary dump for the Sixers. Basically. Like, not quite a salary dump, but... Like the next closest thing, I would have to. No? I would have to look at all of those salaries. What What does Baines have? Like one more year? Uh, I want to say this is the last. Is year this the last one? I mean, see, it, you make that trade. What you're really saying is, I want to make sure I can keep Josh Richards. That to me, because you're not, you're still not going to be under the salary cap. You're not going to have functional, but like it means you can re-sign Josh Richards and you can go out. Not that you'll ever have the assets to do so right now, but you go out there and pursue aggressively someone like Bogdanovich because you have confidence you can bring them back. You can fit one more 
$17 million contract or whatever he's going to get in, in restricted free agency. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'd, 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 I'd probably dump it, sure. Sure. Yeah, I would if, if you could just undo that contract, sure. I think Phoenix would do that. That's that, that was their that was a big move. Yeah. Oh man, sad state of affairs. Sad state of affairs. They they really got lucky that Miami liked Jimmy Butler so much. Like the the yeah. one move that's like, hey, that's a really good move is Josh Richardson. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, once you came to the conclusion that you weren't bringing Jimmy Butler back. Even he's an awkward fit, but who isn't? Do you think um, we don't have to get into this now? But I think that I think that over the course of the next several months, I think there'll be a lot of discussion as to whether or not letting Jimmy go was a mistake. Oh, I mean, I think it's already happening. And look on yep. a, on basketball wise, on a basketball court, like your best two fits around Joel Embiid were Jimmy Butler and JJ Reddick. Of all the people that have been here over the last few years, those are your best two fits. And so, I, we talk about Joel Embiid and his inconsistent effort and his maybe passive aggressiveness. Like part of that is, I think it's just it's got to be frustrating as hell to try to be a post up. First of all, it's frustrating as hell to be a post up big man in twenty twenty. But then to do it on this team is, woo, that's got to be maddening. So yeah. like, and look, that doesn't mean like you've still got to be a leader. You've still got to inspire your teammates. But, like, I get it. I get the frustration. On the basketball court, for sure, keeping Jimmy for this year was, like, they'd be a better basketball team. There's no doubt in my mind. But there is, I mean, one day we'll find out everything that went into that. But there is obviously a lot that goes into that, from Ben Simmons and his buy-in to, you know, Jimmy Butler and his buy-in in running. You know, I clearly he wanted to run a team. There is concern over aging. There's concern over clubhouse. Like, there's a lot of concerns that go into all of that. And you don't need to be an insider to realize what those are. Yeah. And and by the way, like, if you, if it, and I'm not saying it is, but if you had to choose between one of Ben Simmons or Jimmy Butler, like, Ben's the right choice, I think. Like, it's just, there's so much. Like, we talk about Joel Embiid and his window, and that's a, frankly, that conversation is too scary to have, but it's not crazy. But, like, Ben's window he could be a top 20 player for a decade. Like he could absolutely be that. And if, I mean, if, if Joel Embiid really does have a, a shorter, maybe window of dominance than we hope for, like you want to have that kind of guy there to build around as well. Um, but look, Jimmy's, he's really good. He's, he's, he's really good. And I mean, he has skill sets that they just, they desperately need like just one guy who can turn the corner and get in the paint. Just give me one. And who can actually then pass out of that. Ugh, oh, we don't need to rehash that. <laughs> so Glenn Robinson, most... would you rather have Glenn Robinson or Alec Burks? Uh, Alec Burks. This is such a depressing conversation. Yes, it is. And yes, like Alec is. Burks isn't like he's okay. His numbers, considering how little talent, like his efficiency numbers aren't terrible. But you're not going to want to run offense. Ugh, whatever. He's he's Alec Burks. I can't believe we're having this conversation. I know, man. I know. It's it's really wild. It's it's wild how they ended up here. And it's it's a hole that I it's like completely unclear how they're gonna climb out of this. I think you know I, I think the the number one thing that seems most likely is just a Horford trade of some manner. I think this this starting lineup just makes no sense. Um, and 
that Miami game, you know, we spoke whatever, whatever it was four days ago, and I was saying I'm not budging too much from my my preseason prediction. Well, I'm budging now. That Miami game <laughs> pushed me right over the ledge. And you know what else? You know what else? I uh, after that game um, Tuesday, I I, I, I was. I was just trying to figure this team out so much, and, and I, I spent like four hours watching old playoff games, uh, like from last year, the year before, that sort of stuff. And I just came to the conclusion that like this team has no chance in the playoffs. They have no chance. They can't. They're not going to be able to score on anyone. I watched Toronto and Milwaukee game five last year, and and it just like it just struck me how every player on both teams can dribble and shoot and make the right decision, <laughs> and they don't have. Any of those guys. They don't have a, a single one. And that, they don't have a single one. That last thing you mentioned, like, we talk a lot about dribbling and shooting, and, like, it's sh- staggering how few people on this team can dribble and shoot. That decision-making is a big aspect, too. Like, there just yes. are not... I mean, we talked about this last podcast, the Penny and Processors. There just aren't very many quick, high-level decision-makers on this team. And the one that you have, he's scared to shoot in the half court. <laughs> There's just... it's it's And that's why, like, when we start talking about, like, you know, getting like switching and, and getting mismatches for Tobias Harris to attack. Okay. But like, I don't really trust him to make decisions with the ball. Like he'll just get to his pull-up spots a little better. And that's not really like, I got in this argument the other day with somebody who was just adamant that Brett Brown has just turned all these players into three point shooters. And it's like, go look at Tobias Harris, go look at Josh Richardson. They don't shoot more three pointers now than they did in with the Clippers or with, with Miami. If they do, it's I'm pretty sure Josh Richardson is shooting fewer three pointers now than he did with the Heat. Like, the only player who's really changed his shot pro- profile substantially is Al Horford. That's mainly because he's got to fit next to Joel Embiid in the post. It's not like these players are drastically different than anything they've ever been at any point in their careers. Like, they've never gotten the free throw line. They've never really gotten to the rim with consistency. They've never been really great decision makers. Like, Josh Richardson is a pull-up jump shooter from mid-range who doesn't really get the free throw line. And he does a lot of things well. Like, I like Josh a lot. The problem isn't with Josh. The problem isn't even really with Tobias outside of the fact that what you gave up for him and what you gave to him in, as, a, as a contract. The, the problem is the lack of a dribbler, which it sounds a little bit dismissive to just say like they need someone to dribble the ball, but they do. It's a lack of a real good shot creator, lack of a guy who can get to the rim, who can get to the line, who can create for others, who can shoot consistently. There's just like they need one or two pieces to make everyone fit, and it's... um. I, I feel like how, I've said that like 45 times over the last two months. I know. It, it. It's crazy how we could have said the exact same things heading into last year, like the first half of last year, and especially before the Jimmy trade, about how like this team just doesn't have guys that can both shoot and dribble. And now they've, they've, they've wiped the whole team clean and replaced it with all new guys who also can't both shoot and dribble. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's insane. It's completely insane. But not only that, but they gave up what's turning out to be a, a pretty decent first round pick. And Landry, I heard, I heard, I think it was um, Zach Lowe on ESPN being like, the Clippers view Landry Shaman as untouchable. That would be nice to have. He I, 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 I don't think year, he should though. be untouchable, by the way. Like, I think that's posturing. But like, yeah. there's just a lot of assets that have been, uh, they should not be this inflexible. It's, it's frustrating. Yep. All right, I think uh, I think that is it. Especially since most of what we just talked about here for the last fifteen minutes will be invalidated <laughs> in the next couple of hours, and we will then either get new players to talk about or rants that we have to watch 
do you get like, I love basketball. We both got into this because we love basketball and we just happened to trick somebody into giving us money to talk about it, <laughs> which I still don't know how that happened. But like, we love basketball, right? Yep. It's 655 on a road game. Are you like me where you're just like, oh my God, there's another game already? Like how I, I just went through this torture like a couple hours ago, I feel like. <laughs> I am. Yes, I but, am not. And I say this, and I swear they're going to go out there and they're going to destroy Milwaukee now because that's the way this team operates. But I guess we'll end it there. Thank you, Mike, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. <laughs>